Well, hi, friends. This is Matthew Dowling, and I am your host for The Preacher Cast, a discussion of Christianity, the Church, and life in Christ. This is the December 28, 2020 edition of The Preacher Cast, and today we'll be looking at a number of items in the news. As always, today's discussion will be rooted in the Holy Bible, the inerrant and infallible Word of God. After the news, we turn our attention to the Q&A segment of the Preacher Cast, where I answer questions submitted by a listener each week. If you would like to submit a question to the Preacher Cast to be answered by yours truly, email me at smdowling at gmail.com. That is smdowling at gmail.com. This week's question is, why is it important that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us? Again, I think this is a listener-submitted question which has been inspired by the Christmas season, and so we'll tackle that right after the news. Now, following the Q&A, we will turn our attention to the theology segment of the Preacher Cast. This week, we will consider the question, what does it mean that we are in union with Christ? That should be an interesting discussion. And finally, I will have a book recommendation for you. Now, before we turn to the podcast, let me remind you that you can check out my blog and take advantage of the resources there, including a daily devotional published each morning. You can access my website at matthewdowling.org. You can subscribe to The Preacher Cast over at anchor.fm. Just go to anchor.fm forward slash PreacherCast, and you can access previous episodes of the show. You can subscribe to The Preacher Cast on Apple iTunes or on all major podcast distributors. Okay, let's turn our attention to this week's news and analysis. First up today, Nigerian Muslims kidnapped 300 boys. More than 300 boys were kidnapped last weekend from a secondary school in Kankara, Nigeria, and are being held by their Muslim captors in a forest, this according to reports from International Christian Concern. In an interview with BBC Hausa, the governor said, quote, They are in Zamfara forests. We are negotiating with the kidnappers to ensure the release of the abducted students. The kidnappers released an audio tape saying that they wanted to see Islam adhered to in the strictest form. Jesus said in Mark 10:14, "Let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God." Next in the news, Michael Flynn in the world of politics. He says Trump could seize voting machines and involve the military. In an interview with Newsmax TV a week ago Thursday, retired general and former Trump national security adviser Michael Flynn said President Donald Trump could seize the voting machines that rigged the election. He said this, quote, number one, President Trump won on the 3rd of November. He needs to appoint a special counsel immediately. He needs to seize all of these Dominion and these other voting machines that we have across the country. He needs to go ahead and prioritize by state and probably by county. The Antrim County, Michigan, Fulton County, Maricopa County as an example. These machines are clearly, well, there is foreign influence that is tied to this system, and it goes back to China, likely goes to Russia, likely goes to Iran. We know that Venezuela has participated in the development of these machines. We cannot allow this election and the integrity of our election to go the way it is. President Trump could immediately, on his order, seize every single one of these machines around the country within the swing states. 
Now, General Flynn went on to insist that President Trump could ask the military to intervene. Quote, if he wanted to, President Trump could take military capabilities and he could place them in those states and basically rerun an election in each of those states. I mean, it's not unprecedented. And I mean, these people out there talking about martial law, it's like it's something that we've never done. Martial law has been instituted 64 times. Michael Flynn went on to say that he's especially upset with the Supreme Court. Quote, I don't believe that the Supreme Court of the United States has even looked at the merit of any of these cases that have been put forward yet. That's unsatisfactory. This is an unprecedented time. It's a crucible moment in our history. We should expect much more out of the Supreme Court, end quote. Well, next up in the news, a Georgia airplane banner will reveal abortion truth. Now, because of the landmark upcoming election in Georgia that will decide which party holds the U.S. Senate, a group called Created Equal, a pro-life group, will be flying a massive airplane tow banner depicting a baby killed by abortion over several Georgia cities. This is the last effort in Created Equal's 2020 Vote Anti-Abortion Tour, which traveled to multiple swing states. The airplane banner encourages the public to, quote, vote anti-abortion, end quote, while displaying a 15-week aborted child. The airplane will visit Columbus on December 31st, Augusta on January 1st, and Atlanta on January 4th, and the banner will fly over the city twice each day. Psalm 127 verse 3 says, Children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. More news and analysis when we return from the break. Next up in the news, a Christian pastor in India has been martyred for his faith. The group International Christian Concern reports of another Christian evangelist pastor martyred in India. While on his way home, Pastor Stephen Surin was martyred after visiting new believers in a nearby village. He was shot and killed by three assailants in the presence of his wife, who was with him at the time. She reported to ICC that, quote, they killed my husband in front of my own eyes. I was terrified seeing my husband collapse, having been shot in the chest. I started to think about my children and loudly cried out to God to save me and to take care of my children. I pushed the man who was pointed the gun towards me. I ran into the thick bushes and the nearby forest. I probably walked for more than ten hours to reach my home. I purposely did not take the road to avoid the attackers." Pastor Stephen had been threatened numerous times by villagers where he was serving as an evangelist. Acts chapter 7 verse 59 tells of the first martyr in the church. It says, And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. Next up in the news, thousands of Chinese pastors have gone into hiding. The group Christian Headlines reports that thousands of Chinese pastors are going into hiding, which involves disconnecting from phones and computers and even destroying their ID cards. Also, Asia Harvest, a newspaper and reporting group, reports that the communist government is producing their own copy of the Bible, in which Jesus claims to be sinful and socialist characteristics, as they are called, are added to the copy. 
Next up in the news, from Franklin Graham, the son of Billy Graham. He says, I believe Trump when he says election was stolen. American evangelist Franklin Graham, son of Billy Graham, Facebooked a message on Saturday indicating his support of President Trump's position on the election. In Graham's own words, quote, when President Trump says that this election has been rigged or stolen, I tend to believe him. He has a track record of being right. Pray for President Trump. Pray for Joe Biden and pray for our nation that we will get through this and for God's will would be done. Paul exhorts in 1 Timothy 2 that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Next up in the news, this time from Spain, the country of Spain is set to legalize euthanasia. Spain is looking to become the sixth nation in the world to legalize euthanasia, that is, the killing killing of the elderly and the infirm. The nation will join the Netherlands, Belgium, Colombia, Luxembourg, Western Australia, Spain, and Canada. Now, the Netherlands has been killing about 6,000 elderly persons per year. And tragically, the nation approved euthanasia for terminally ill children earlier this year. Now, that's about 3% of the total deaths in the country. Added to 168,000 surgical uh, surgical abortions each year, 53% of the deaths in the Netherlands in any given year are murders at the hands of doctors. In addition, assisted suicide is now legal in eight American states. Moving from Spain to the city of San Francisco, which sees uptick in despair deaths. The city of San Francisco witnessed a massive increase in despair deaths in the year 2020, some 621 people dying of drug overdoses. Now that's almost four times the number of people who have died of COVID-19 during the same time frame in the city. According to the San Francisco Chronicle, the number would have been much higher if it, not, if it had not been for 3,000 life-saving interventions on the part of emergency workers. Next up in the news, the U.S. Congress approves a $900 billion COVID-19 bill. The U.S. Congress has approved a $900 billion COVID-19 aid bill, which is to include more free money, so-called, for American taxpayers. Most people are likely to receive $600 checks plus an additional $600 per child. In 2020, the federal government spent $6.6 trillion, or 31% of the GDP, up from 20.7% in 2019. That's the largest increase under any president, Republican or Democrat, since FDR. Now, this $900 billion, that's B with a billion, stimulus package kicking loose in January would put 2021 federal expenditures somewhere around $5.8 trillion, or 27.4% of a steady-state GDP. Previous to these huge increases, federal spending per GDP has remained between 17 and 23% since 1965. Next up in the news, we go to the Vatican, where Pope Francis has approved vaccines made from aborted children. 
Now, despite opposition from some Catholic bishops, the Vatican has approved use of all COVID-19 vaccines, regardless of whether they were manufactured using the cell lines of aborted fetuses. The announcement was explicitly approved by Pope Francis, according to the Vatican News, and this has surprised many Catholics around the world. Finally, in this segment, we move to news about Betsy Tinboom. This last Christmas week marked the 76th anniversary of the death of Betsy Tinboom, who was Corey's sister. If you know the story of Corey Tinboom, then you will know about her sister, sister Betsy. Betsy died in the Ger- German Ravensbrück concentration camp. She was taken by the Nazis on charges of helping to save the lives of 30 Jews in their home in Harlem, Netherlands. Betsy reminded Corey while in the camp, quote, Give thanks in all circumstances. It doesn't say in pleasant circumstances. Even fleas are part of this place where God has put us, end quote. The ladies conducted secret prayer services in the prison camps. And Betsy's last words before she died were this, quote, We must tell them what we have learned here. We must tell them that there is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. They will listen to us, Corey, because we have been here. We'll take a break at this point, but return to the news after the musical interlude. last part of the news and analysis segment, young American adults likely do not believe in God. That according to a survey by the American Enterprise Institute, which found that the most common religious identity amongst young American adults is none at 34%. Although 87% of Americans say they believe in God, only 53% say they believe in God without any doubts. White evangelical Protestants and black Protestants were the most likely to say they believe in God without any doubts. And then news from the Southern Baptist Convention. Critical race theory is incompatible with the Bible. The Council of Seminary Presidents of the Southern Baptist Convention recently denounced critical race theory as incompatible with their statement of faith. The Baptist leaders acknowledged their opposition to any form of racism, but emphasized the need for teaching biblical truth, not the unbiblical ideologies of secular culture. And then news this week from Johnny Erickson Tata, who tested positive for COVID. The author and disabilities advocate has tested positive for COVID-19 and is currently receiving monoclonal antibodies treatment, this according to a report from the Christian Post. In a statement released last Monday, Johnny and Friends, an organization that accelerates Christian outreach to the disability community, revealed that the 71-year-old Bible teacher tested positive for the virus after exhibiting flu-like symptoms. They said this, quote, While we know this diagnosis has not taken Jesus by surprise, we are interceding for Johnny's health, strength, 
and confidence in God's good purposes. We have seen God protect her from two bouts of cancer, and we know he can do it again. Thank you for joining us in prayer. And then finally, American churches celebrate freedom from COVID tyranny. The fact is, U.S. jurisdictions are backing off their coronavirus restrictions on church services this month. Churches in Oregon will no longer face criminal penalties for meeting normally after the state's health authority changed their gathering limit to a recommendation. Similarly, Washington State changed their numerical limit on church attendance to a recommendation. And then Washington, D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser increased the numerical limit on church services after the Roman Catholic Archdiocese of Washington, D.C. took legal action against restrictions. That is the news and analysis for this edition of the Preacher Cast. Next up after the break, the Q&A segment of the podcast. turn to the question of the week, which is, why is it important that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us? And you know, I love this question because, frankly, we think a lot about the fact that Jesus is with us because of the great Christmas carols that we sing around this season. And of course, these great Christmas carols rightly emphasize that Jesus is Emmanuel, God who has come to dwell in us. And these carols, they underline that Jesus is the Christ come to dwell in us. You know, it reminds me of the the rough and sometimes harsh-tongued reformer Martin Luther, who actually sweetly taught us to sing, Ah, dearest Jesus, holy child, make thee a bed soft undefiled within my heart, that it may be a quiet chamber kept for thee. And you know, dear friends, the wonder of this question really lies in the wonder of the Christmas message, the one that is celebrated through faith. That is, that Jesus Christ comes to indwell his people. And so the question is, what does it mean that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us? And my answer is, it means that Jesus Christ has come to indwell his people. So let me unpack that just a bit. And we should get a fuller answer through that unpacking. You know, even as I begin, I'm reminded that Jesus' presence is not merely an event in history. It is actually the present experience of every Christian believer. You see, our understanding of the Christmas message and its life-changing implications are actually incomplete unless the wonder of this fact that Jesus does indwell his people dawns upon us. And you know, while there are perhaps only a dozen passages in the New Testament that emphasize Christ's indwelling, 
their teaching raises two very important questions that are implicit in the listener's question, which is, what does it mean that Jesus is Emmanuel? The first question is, in what way does Christ indwell us? And then the second is, really, what difference does this make to our lives? So let's take up the first question, which is, how does Christ indwell us? And the answer comes in this form, with a reflection that the Son of God came to dwell in human flesh for us in order that he might come to dwell in us by his Spirit. That actually is the meaning of Jesus' teaching prior to his death. This from John 15, verses 4 through 5. Jesus said there, "'Remain in me, and I will remain in you.'" And then he went on to conclude, "'This is the way to bear much fruit.'" We remember that later in prayer, Jesus spoke again of this union in these terms. This is from John 17. He said, I in them and you in me, I have made you, he's talking to the Father, known to them in order that I myself may be in them. You see, what Jesus teaches us is just as the Father dwells in the Son and vice versa, So the Son, well, he dwells in believers, and we in him. In fact, in just a little bit, I'll talk more about what it means that we are in union with Christ. But for now, how does Christ indwell us? Well, the indwelling of Christ in his people uh, is significant that um, in order to answer this question, the best analogy we can find is the mutual indwelling of the Father and the Son. So how does this indwelling take place? Well, Jesus had already indicated to the disciples that it would be through the personal indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You might remember that the Spirit would come as another counselor, as he's called in John 14, 16. And the nuance of John's language here in this passage is that the Spirit is another just like Jesus, right? For the promise of the coming of the Spirit to indwell the disciples is is actually a parallel to Jesus's other promises. He said in John 14, 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And then Jesus adds that when this takes place on the day of Pentecost, uh, John 14, 20, you will realize that you are in me and I am in you. And actually, the Apostle Paul picks up on this and expresses the same perspective when he speaks about the indwelling of Christ in Romans 8, verses 9 through 11. In fact, several statements are parallel to, and they mutually explain one another. Uh, Romans 8, verse 9, the Spirit of God lives in you. Uh, Verse 10 says, Christ is in you. Uh, Verse 11 says, the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, that is the Father, is living in you. Uh, his Spirit who lives in you. And so for Paul, to have Christ is to actually have the Spirit, because the way Christ indwells us is through the Holy Spirit. Now, question on this point, does the indwelling of the Spirit seem a kind of poor substitute for Jesus himself? Well, not when we remember the identity of this Spirit, okay? He is the one who was present at the conception of Jesus, Luke one thirty-five. He is the one who enabled Jesus to grow in wisdom and grace, Luke 2, 
according to the Messianic promise of Isaiah 11. He is the Spirit who came upon Jesus at his baptism and served as the strategist, so to speak, of his campaign against the powers of darkness. That's Luke 3 and 4. It was through him that Christ offered himself on the cross, that according to Hebrews 9.14. And by his power, that is the power of the Spirit, Jesus was raised from the dead. That's Romans 1.4. So do, to be indwelt by the Spirit is to be indwelt by Christ, the incarnate, obedient, crucified, resurrected, and glorified Christ. Which is why the Apostle John says in 1 John 3, verse 24, this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the Spirit he gave us. In fact, no wonder one hymn writer bids us, Think what spirit dwells within thee. It is the Spirit of Christ, my friends. Now, this brings us to the second part of the question, which is, well, what difference does it make that Christ indwells us? Oh, here we go. Well, first, the fact that Christ has come to indwell us, it changes the fundamental direction of our lives, according to the New Testament. Paul will say, In Galatians 2.20, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. You see, the old life, which was dominated by sin and Satan and self, well, that's gone away. Christ has come to you now to take possession of your whole being and to provide all the resources you need to live for him. The fact is, life is no longer a matter of frustrated striving to keep a kind of external code, but it is living in the power of of the indwelling spirit. You see, his yoke fits well. The burden of his royal law is light because he's come to shoulder it from within in the power of the spirit. But further, the difference that Christ indwelling us makes is when Christ indwells an individual, that person's life becomes a a kind of spiritual battlefield. Uh, Think of the two statements that Paul makes. Uh, He says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Uh, He says in Romans 7, 17, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. Now, here's a mysterious paradox. Christ dwelt in Paul, and yet sin also continued to dwell in him. You see, conflict is a bit unavoidable for the Christian, okay? Opposition to Christ's influence is inevitable. It's as inevitable as the hostility of King Herod to the Christ child when he feared that the newborn babe was a threat to his throne. You see, the conflict is certainly between opposite foes, but they're not equal, okay? That's why John the Apostle would say in 1 John 4, 4, the one who is in us is greater than all opposition. So if Christ indwells us, we don't any longer need to be defeated by sin. Nonetheless, his indwelling presence will create a conflict in us. Now, this brings us to a third implication, which affects our life and fellowship with one another. It is kind of a simple deduction from the fact that Christ has come to indwell me, but the potential repercussions are staggering. And what I mean here is that my attitude and my response to every fellow Christian, it must be consciously dominated by the thought that that other Christian is indwelt by the same Christ who indwells me. So I'm indwelt by Christ, and I look at another believer, and I affirm that they are temples of Christ by the Spirit. 
that they too are saints. They are holy ones set apart for the Lord. And so consequently, there really is no natural distinction between myself and a fellow Christian. I don't care if their race is different, their color, their education, their employment, their wealth. None of those things can be allowed to become a barrier between us because, as Paul says in Colossians 3.11, Christ is all and is in all. And think about that fact for a moment, how different our relationships, our thoughts, our speech, and our actions would be amongst the saints if we were just more conscious of that that fact. Well, this brings us to a fourth uh, difference that is made by the fact that Christ indwells us. There's kind of a final implication to which Paul draws our attention. If Christ indwells you by his Spirit so that you are united to him, married to him, as it were, then your very body is his. That's kind of the implications of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 12 through 17. That is to say, your eyes and what you see, uh, your lips and what you say, your hands and what you touch, your feet and where you go, uh, that belongs to God, to Christ. So I wonder, do we really often live in the conscious awareness of that? Do we yield our body to Christ because he's redeemed it and now wants to sanctify it? And probably the answer is is no. But here's the point of all this. The message of the incarnate Christ is glorious, but it must never be severed from the message of the indwelling Christ. So what does it mean that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us? It's that he is with us in a profound way, indwelling us by the Holy Spirit. So that means that he who came for us as a baby now dwells as the Lord of glory in us through the Spirit, and that is his gift to us. And it's a Christmas message, even though as this goes to air, it'll be just after Christmas. It's a very Christmas message, and of course we are in the church calendar in the Christmas season. And so here's the point. The indwelling Christ, he seeks one gift from you in return, and that gift is you, you, dear friend. Uh, We asked for such a life when we first learned to sing uh, that song long ago. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in, be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell. O come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. And so there's the answer. Hopefully that's helpful And hopefully it gives you a greater imagination for what it means to say that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Oh, the exciting sounds of Shylin, a wonderful Christian 
uh, artist, and uh, I recommend his albums to you. If you get a chance and you like that kind of music, an extraordinary gift to the church. Well, following that Q&A about Jesus as Emmanuel, it's natural to turn our attention now to the theology segment of the podcast. This week, we consider the question, what does it mean that we are in union or united to Christ? And of course, that follows very closely from our discussion just a moment ago. You know, union with Christ, as it's often called, is probably one of the most extraordinary blessings and privileges of every Christian. And I remind you that that union is forged by the Holy Spirit in the moment or the hour of regeneration, that is, that enlivening work where we're brought alive in Christ, having been spiritually dead in our sin. And so the union is forged in regeneration when, essentially, the Holy Spirit cuts a sinner off from Adam and really grafts him into Jesus Christ. And in that hour of regeneration, the Spirit then establishes a kind of spiritual union between Jesus Christ and a sinner, a union which is unbreakable, it's irreversible, and it is eternal. And so, as you can imagine, it's an exciting thing to talk about union with Christ. Now, in doing so, the Holy Spirit reestablishes what is, in essence, a covenantal relationship between God and sinners that once existed between God and Adam prior to the fall. And though the essence of this union is identical to the original covenantal union, there is one difference which is very significant. You see, the covenant bond between God and Adam, as we know, it proved to be breakable because it was established externally from God's being. So here's the crucial difference. When the Holy Spirit unites a sinner to Christ, the bond becomes internal to God's being. That is to say, it lies within the second person of the Godhead, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I know we're in deep waters here, okay? This is a preacher cast. It's for ministers, and um, we need to go deep. We do need to go deep as pastors and theologians. But here's the point of all this, and anybody can understand this who's been in the faith for some time. When a sinner is united to Christ, that person is thereby united to the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, with a covenantal bond that cannot be severed for all eternity. As impossible as it is to sever the divine and human natures of Christ, so the covenantal bond between God and his people, established in Jesus, too, can never be dissolved. That's why Paul could write, boldly to the believers that nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord, his words inspired by the Spirit in Romans 8, 39. All of that that I just said is implied when we say that believers are united to Christ by faith. <clears throat> however, however, this glorious objective truth must also become 
a kind of experiential reality for us if we are to enjoy its blessed benefits. And objectively, what this means, objectively, this union is established in the hour of regeneration, that is the time when the Holy Spirit regenerates our hearts from deadness to new life. But this union with Christ is subjectively established from our perspective and maintained by the exercise of faith. You see, only by faith can the believer become conscious of this union and enjoy its benefits. And this has a really practical outworking in the life of a disciple, if you follow what I'm getting ready to say. Though from God's side, this union is uninterrupted, from a believer's side, from our vantage point and point of view, the awareness and the enjoyment of this union is very much contingent upon the exercise of faith. So the more that a believer exercises faith, the more the believer will enjoy the reality and the comfort of being united to Christ. So what this means practically is that um, enjoying this union is directly proportionate to our believing appropriation of it by faith. That is, the more I exercise faith, the more I glean joy from my union with Christ. That's why in John chapter 15, Christ very lovingly urges his people to abide in him. <laughs> to abide in him. He says this, he says, abide in me and I in you. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. What's Jesus saying here? Christ makes it abundantly clear that he desires believers to live in the full awareness and comfort of this union with him. And so, dear believer, it is therefore essential that believers exercise faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work every day, a fresh a fresh exercise of faith in Jesus and his work. Now, there will be times that such faith is exercised when we are not engaged emotionally. And so, even in the absence of the sweet and kind of tender frames God's children so much enjoy, um, we still need to exercise faith. And at such moments, we may not feel united to Christ, but by faith we embrace the truth that nevertheless we are united to Christ, okay? What a blessing then when we increasingly live by faith and not by feeling. That's why Paul will say in Hebrews 11 verse 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And so let me ask you, dear listener, do you know whether you are united to this precious Christ? Well, if you are, you will be irresistibly drawn to Christ. You will embrace him by faith. You will be progress progressively uh, conformed to him, and you will be increasingly assured of your union with him. 
And so if this is in some measure descriptive of your life, my invitation, my encouragement to you is to continue coming to and abiding in Christ. Because in so doing, you will increasingly enjoy your objective experience of union with Christ. And the more you will understand what Paul means when he writes, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Well, finally in the Preacher Cast today, a book recommendation for the week. This is a book by The Banner of Truth, first published in 1981. Small, actually, you know what? First published in 1970, uh, my reprint is from 1981, so it goes back even further than that. But it's a book by Walter Chantry titled Today's Gospel Authentic or synthetic. And Walter Chantry has given us a beautiful little 93-page gift in a book that looks at differences between much of today's preaching and that of Jesus. And he finds pretty extraordinary differences in the presentation of the gospel. Enormous differences, really. And this powerfully written little book has a message which I think probably goes to the heart of a contemporary problem in the way that we have failed to do evangelism. And so this is an important and timely book. It um, probably gets to the heart of a kind of cancer at the heart of evangelicalism, and uh, really turns us back to our Savior, Jesus Christ, and his method for evangelism. So it's excellent, a helpful work, and what in essence it is, is Walter Chantry's blistering assault on easy believism. And, uh, and I, think it's, uh, I think it's a lot of fun. It has some cranky moments, which I, may, I think make it very readable, and uh, it would be a good uh, book to read at uh, either year's end or at the first of the year just to uh, freshen and help you as a minister uh, freshen your view of the way in which the gospel is presented in your ministry. So I encourage you, dear friends, this last episode of the Preacher Cast for 2020 to take up tole lege, take up and read, and uh, keep your minds sharp for the ministry. If we uh, have learned anything in 2020, it's that there are a great many challenges to the gospel minister today, both from within the church and from 
without. I hope that this podcast is a weekly dose of help for you. I release it purposely on Mondays because Monday is often a difficult time of recuperation for the workaday minister. Uh, I don't know if you know this statistic, but the, the majority of preacher quittings happen on Monday morning as we come off the spiritual high of Sunday with all of its glories, and we should probably admit disappointments. And so I release it on Mondays as a help, I hope, for the workaday minister, of whom I am one as well. I love you. I believe in what you're doing. I believe in your calling and the work we are doing has eternal significance. And so hang in there, dear friend. Keep working. Keep the hand on the plow. And until next time, may God bless you.